You're listening to EcoSpeak CLE, where the eco-curious explore the unique and thriving environmental community here in Northeast Ohio. My name is Diane Pickett, and my producer is Greg Rotuno. Together, we bring you inspiring stories from local sustainability leaders and invite you to connect, learn, and live with our community and planet in mind. Hello, friends. In our last interview with Humble Design Cleveland, you heard how one local nonprofit is helping break the cycle of poverty one home at a time using donated items. In this episode, and in honor of America Recycles Day, which is November 15th, the day this episode drops, we continue our focus on reuse, but with a different spin. Food rescue. The holidays are coming up along with corporate parties and other events happening around town, and these events usually result in surplus food that often goes to waste. But it does not have to be that way. Speaking with us today is Chelsea Shuren, and she is the Food Rescue Program Director for the Hunger Network of Greater Cleveland, and that's one of Cuyahoga County's largest emergency food providers. Today, we're going to talk about what food rescue means and how you can become a food rescue hero. Welcome, Chelsea. Thank you so much for having me, Diane. I'm very excited to be here. Well, how are you doing today? It's a rainy Friday in Cleveland. (laughs) It is a rainy Friday in Cleveland. It's going well, just, you know, constantly trying to bring on new partners to the program and keep things moving. So it's a good day. Awesome. Well, I love the term food rescue because it makes me think of superheroes. And that is precisely what you and your volunteers are to the people that you serve. And you even call your volunteers food rescue heroes. So, um, yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> tell us about your position at the Hunger Network and what, what it means to rescue food. Yeah, absolutely. So I started with Hunger Network back in January of 2020. So, right before the pandemic hit. Um, I actually, just to give a little bit of backstory, I started off as a volunteer with the food rescue program before I was even hired. So I really was able to get that firsthand volunteer experience um, before joining the organization, um, which really kind of gave me a little bit more insight into how the program operates, what food rescue really means, what it looks like in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. But like I said, I joined the organization in January 2020, right before the pandemic (laughs) Yeah, right. So I started ready to to hit the ground running. And then two months later, COVID hit everyone. um, And we had to pivot a lot. But I was the operations manager of the program for about a year and a half. Um, I left and then came back last fall and was promoted to program director. So now I am in the position. um, I have two folks on my team. And I oversee all of the operations, all of the program growth um, and expansion, focusing on community engagement, fundraising, marketing. My position's kind of all-encompassing. Um, all right. I do multiple different things, but but really focus on program growth and expansion is kind of where where my bread and butter is. Okay. Well, congratulations on that promotion. Thank you. The idea of food rescue, you're you're creating relationships with people who are donating food, but also with the volunteers who are rescuing food, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll kind of give you a little overview of our program and how we operate. Um, So we call ourselves a food recovery program, right? You can hear the term food rescue. There's a couple different terms that circulate that um, really identify or define this type of work. We use, we like to use the term food recovery. That's sort of how the EPA defines it through their food recovery hierarchy. 
Um, but we take surplus usable but not sellable product from food-related businesses in the community. So this could be grocery stores, this could be farms, this could be produce distributors, this could be bakeries, restaurants, catering companies, you name it, right? If they're if they're producing food or have surplus food um, and it's and it's in their facility in a safe manner, right? Um, we can accept that food for donation. And we send all of that food back out to organizations that are working with food insecure populations. So sort of your traditional hunger relief, emergency food relief organizations are your food banks, your food pantries, your hot meal sites, your hunger centers. We work with those types of organizations, but we also work with what we call unique distribution sites. So these are organizations um, in the community that aren't their sole purpose isn't necessarily to distribute food, but they have some level of like a public health foothold. So that could be a Head Start program right? That could be transitional housing. That could be a recovery uh, treatment center, medical clinic, you know, or healthcare clinic, where folks are actively using these services in different parts of the community. Um, and we're able to bring food to those locations. And we facilitate all of our logistics, um, thanks to our volunteers. They are the boots on the ground doing the donation pickups and drop-offs. And they utilize an app called Food Rescue Hero. So it was developed by 412 Food Rescue in Pittsburgh. And we like to think of ourselves or our volunteers as sort of the Uber or Lyft of food recovery. So the app itself provides all of the instructions for pickup, the time frame, uh, contact information, photos of where they're supposed to go. And it specifically guides them step by step through the rescue process. So they have a very clear idea of where they're going, who they're talking to how much they should expect to pick up, right? And then where they're dropping the donation off. Yep. Um, and the the beautiful thing about that is that it's really flexible. Being able to rescue, being a volunteer in the community is flexible for folks. So they can pick and choose what rescues that they want to participate in if it works for their schedule, um, or they don't have to. So that's kind of an overview of, of how we operate and what things look like for the program itself. Um, so, so personally, um, ever, ever the immersive podcast host, I <laughs> tried it out. So this, um, you and I spoke a, f- a few weeks ago and you were telling me about the app and the technology platform that you use to, to connect all these dots. Cause it's literally hundreds of different partners. I think that you have yeah. in this area, um, and technology really helps with that. So I downloaded the app and because I wanted to see what it was all about. And I, I tell you, it was so easy. So you download the app, um, you take a, a little test or quiz on, you know, how to properly execute and, and take care of the food while you're transporting it. Yep. Um, and then like within 10 minutes, I got a notification that there was a food rescue opportunity in my area. And Mm -hmm. then five minutes later, I got like three more. So, (laughs) (laughs) and some were way on the West side and some were not working with my schedule, but then I found one that did. And it was last Friday, the food pickup. um, It was a, a rescue at the giant Eagle in Beechwood. And it was bakery items and apples and bananas. So um, 
I claimed the rescue. You, there's a little thing you can click on, claim this, claim this rescue, which I did. And then yeah. from there, the app walked me through every single step. Like, let us know when you're leaving the house. And, you know, I had it, the rescue had to take place between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. So left my mm-hmm. house, called the produce department and the bakery department to confirm that they had these items and where to get them. Then mm-hmm. they told me to go to the back door and that all everything was on a cart for me. So yes. I went to the back door, found the cart, loaded my car, and then took it to the YMCA in Warrensville Heights. And I walked in and the, the woman at the counter is like, oh, yeah, we were, we were expecting you. And they, you know, came out and brought the food in. And, and I think it was like just a, a service they have there. So there were a lot of seniors at the time. So we, we just laid the food out on a table and, and people were, were grabbing it. So um, I thought it was super easy to use and very flexible and, and, I've been out of town this week, but um, so yeah. all these food oper- rescue opportunities have popped up. And when I got home today, um, they were all taken. So there's a lot of volunteers out there. So tell us about that network. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I love that you like you knew that process. I'm like, you can go out <laughs> and, and sell the app for us. You do step by step. And it's it was I fun. Mean, I thought great. And it was it fast. really it's fast. It's really, it really is that easy. Like we try and tell folks it's like one, two, three, you claim a rescue, go pick up a donation, go drop it off. You're done. You know, it, it moves that quickly. Um, so thank you for, <laughs> for giving that breakdown, but yeah. So when it comes to our volunteers, you know, they're really like the crux of our program. We are a volunteer, um, based program. That is how we operate. Our program is entirely free other than overhead you know, for staff to keep things going. So we sometimes like to think of our volunteers as staff because we have some volunteers who really have been around since the inception of our program at Hunger Network. We joined the organization in November of 2018. Um, So we're almost, gosh, almost four years old, coming up on four years old, which is is pretty wild to think about, especially considering half of that time was during COVID. Um, But we have over 440 volunteers that have actively done one or more rescues. We have almost 3,000 app downloads um, of the technology itself. Some of those folks live in around Cleveland. Some of those folks, you know, live out of state because they heard about the technology and they were curious to see what it looked like. So um, about a quarter of our total, a little less than a quarter of our total app download are active volunteers. Um, and those are folks that will go out in the community on what we call a pop-up basis, right? So when a donor calls us and they say, hey, look, we've got 15 cases of sandwiches that need to be picked up. We will put that into the system, right? Make that rescue available. And we might just have someone claim it that one time because that was just all that was available. Or we have folks that are rescuing on a weekly basis. You know, we anticipate from a particular donor that they're going to have um, a donation available every Wednesday, right? And mm-hmm. a volunteer will claim that weekly rescue and they're able to go out and expect to be rescuing every Wednesday at the same time with the same donor and, you know, the same recipient. And so all of our volunteers kind of pick and choose what works for them. We have a lot of folks who rescue on a weekly basis and they've been doing that since the inception of the program. And then we have some folks that are just interested in doing pop-up donations, right? Like when they can, when they have time, 
Um, they'll just claim a rescue and, and they'll go out and do it. It might be once a month, you know, it could be a couple times a week, depending on what's available. But they really are the crux of our operations and they are the ones who are critical in moving this food. Um, mm-hmm. And sort of in addition to that, what's a really cool aspect of our program that ties into our volunteers is that we try to coordinate our rescues so that there's less than 10 miles of a distance between the donor and the recipient. And there's multiple different reasons why we do that. But one of the main reasons is um, to prevent our volunteers from driving too far, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously to limit the distance that the food is traveling. But also it gives an opportunity for the food to stay in the same community. And a lot of these volunteers live in and around these communities. So there's really kind of this circular community centric nature of these rescues and of how the program operates. So these folks really go out there and they're building relationships. You know, they're seeing the same people every week. They're developing these these wonderful dynamics with folks that they may not have a chance to talk to normally in the community, but, you know, they're able to do a good thing and they're able to relationship build and engage with the community, you know, through these volunteer opportunities. Yeah. I love, I love that you said that. That is, that's a very cool point for sure. Are you entirely reliant on volunteers or is there any semblance of like an internal logistics department? So we, um, on the food rescue team, there are three of us, like I said, and two of um, two of the team members are focused all on logistics and operations, right? So they're coordinating where the donations are going. But through their coordination, they are totally reliant on volunteers to claim these rescues. So That's we might, as staff, go out on occasion um, and do the rescues ourselves. We all have weekly rescues that we engage in. So we're making sure we're not just behind a desk all the time and we're engaging, you know, with the community and going out and seeing folks. But we are truly, a, we are a volunteer um, front program. You know, that is how we operate. We don't pay a driver. We don't pay, you know, anyone else. There isn't like a staff member that is solely dedicated to doing rescues. Uh, it's a collective effort, but 99% of it is volunteers that are doing it. The um, problem of food waste is is just enormous. I mean, we've had some conversations on this podcast about the need for composting and reducing the amount of food waste we each produce. But then I read something that kind of blew me away that 40% of America's food goes to waste while one in six people face hunger. So there's such a disconnect, you know, between, you know, the need and the supply and you're helping bridge that gap here, which is amazing. Um, But what is the food insecurity situation look like here in our, in our community and in our County? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in Cuyahoga County, about one, I think the number has, has increased. So it's now one in five individuals are facing food insecurity. And, and food insecurity exists for a lot of different reasons, right? Um, it's, it's hugely a poverty issue. And, you know, with poverty, with low income, it's, there are challenges with housing, there are challenges with job stability, you know, there are challenges. And historically, we've seen it in Cleveland with redlining, so inability to get loans for houses, um, and kind of being forced to live in these areas that don't have the infrastructure to properly support folks. Um, but, you know, with food insecurity, we as a program 
are really trying to address the food access aspect of food insecurity. You know, folks that are food insecure, right, may not have the resources to obtain the food that they need to provide food for their family or themselves if they're an individual or a senior or what have you. Um, but we really try and address the transportation barrier that a lot of folks face when it comes to accessing not only food, but like healthy and nutritious food, right? So your fruits and vegetables, your bakery, your dairy, your meats, your, your things like that. And so sort of through our program, I think we really fill this niche of this huge food security issue, which is bringing food into these communities, bringing mm-hmm. food to these organizations um, or businesses or what have you that already have this public health foothold. They're already providing a service to these communities that are facing food insecurity. And so we're able to kind of piggyback and work together to address food insecurity as well as address many other public health issues, um, you know, that are social determinants of health by bringing food into the communities and addressing that food access issue. You know, so for us as the food rescue program, we like to think of ourselves, you know, twofold. We're not just focused on food waste reduction and we're not just focused on food insecurity, but we're able to kind of take this excess food and really fill this gap of, food access mm-hmm. um, by by being a what we call a direct transfer program. So we don't warehouse or store our food. Our food goes directly from point A, the donor, to point B, which is the recipient. Um, you know, there's there's rarely, if ever, food that is taken someplace for storage. So we're able to get the food hand get the food into the hands of folks who need it, sometimes within an hour. You know, I've done rescues before where I've shown up and individuals in that community are there waiting. They're hanging out. They help me unload my vehicle. You know, they're they're ready to come receive that food or they're they're leaving a clinic and they're grabbing some groceries on their way out. So, you know, food insecurity is is a huge issue in Cleveland for many, many different reasons. And that conversation itself could go on for a long time. Yeah. You know, but but I think being able to address that food access component of food insecurity is really critical. And and it alleviates a lot of other stress that is put on folks um, who already have limited resources. Right. Well, now more than ever, I mean, food access has been always been an issue with the food deserts in our community. And there was that grocery store in, um, I think, Collinwood that recently closed. That was mm-hmm. going to create a big problem for the seniors. Um, and now with the high inflation, inflationary cost of food, um, the need is probably just growing more than ever. There's so many more people that need to know about this because I think everyone has maybe an hour in their week that they could do a rescue. Anecdotally, I did a, I helped produce a documentary when I was in Dayton in 2016 about food insecurity. And I think I'll have to go back and check, but then the time it would take somebody without reliable transportation to get to like a grocery store that they could get fresh food it was at times like four to eight hours. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea what like that metric in the Cleveland area might be? No, I don't. That's not something that like we evaluate, like we work with Case Western to do a couple different research projects, but we haven't, we haven't looked at anything like that. I would definitely be curious what that number is in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was taking people like an entire day to go to the grocery store, take a bus or multiple buses 
to get to the grocery store and then have to carry all that back. I mean, it's crazy. I'd like to talk about some of the laws surrounding food rescue and food donations, because I'm sure there's people out there wondering, well, am I, you know, it's not just picking up some bananas and apples and bakery from a giant eagle. I mean, there are opportunities to rescue food from events and, and that sort of thing. Um, and yes, there are yeah. laws that will protect donors. Um, and uh, so I, I think people are, you know, are interested in knowing, you know, what those laws are and, and how they can be immune from any, anything that might go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's a question that we get a lot with prospective food donors because they are concerned about liability when it comes to donating food, which makes total sense, right? They're running a business. The last thing that they want to do, you know, is is have someone get sick um, from any food that they donate. And we all know that they don't want to th- throw food away. I mean, I talked to countless donors that are like, we don't, I never want to throw something away, but they're just nervous. Um, so, The Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act is one act that is in place. Um, I believe Clinton signed it in the mid 90s um, and and implemented this to really allow food to be donated on a more regular basis. And really, the act, the language in the act itself is not very clear. Um, However, sort of the premise of the, the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act is that donors and recipients are protected if the donors are donating food in good in good faith right without any gross negligence and recipients are accepting this food you know bearing in mind the quality and they're going to handle it appropriately that doesn't really tell you a lot right mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's it, that's very that's very brief however um the critical part of that you know you're you're not going to see so much food safety concern with produce, with bakery, with dairy. Um, And those are some of the main items that we recover. But when it comes to like prepared foods or a catering catering event, you know, or um, a work meeting that a company has had and they have food left over, we have some pretty strict stipulations on those. Um, Or same with a restaurant, you know, or a hotel. So the food has to, number one, be produced in a commercial kitchen. Um, that commercial kitchen obviously has to follow all local food safety guidelines. Um, number two, the food has to be kept at temperature, right? So if if it's going to be cooled, it has to be cooled properly. And then number three, the food can't come from a buffet line or at least a self-serve buffet line. Mm-hmm. So if there are staff or employees that are serving food to folks, that's okay. But folks cannot be serving the food to themselves. Um, and that food be acceptable for donation. So, so I think the critical term might be surplus. This is stuff from the back of a kitchen that has not been presented to the public. Yeah. So yeah, it's, absolutely. It's still safe to, to rescue and, and bring to other people. Yeah, absolutely. And like, like I said, the guidelines are a lot clearer for things like produce, you know, now cut produce on the other hand, that's a concern. Um, you know, but for the most part, the types of foods that we're recovering about over, over 80% of what we recover is fresh produce and bakery. And we primarily recover that food from produce distributors and grocery stores. Um, when it comes to those like prepared foods, you know, 
the donors that we work with are very aware of the Bell Emerson Good Samaritan Act. They they overproduce a lot, right? Because they need to have enough food for the buffet line or what have you. Um, so, you know, they're very aware of the guidelines. But but even still, there's a lot of kind of blur blurriness, a lot of confusion for a lot of restaurants, catering companies, you know, businesses that could partake in this and, um, you know, in, in food donation because producing food is not a perfect science. It's never going to be a perfect science, right? You know, ordering food is never going to be a perfect science. Um, So recently the Food Donation Improvement Act was proposed as like the secondary act from the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act. And this act does a couple different things. Um, It provides a little bit more clarity of the language of the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act um, but it also broadens the opportunity for, uh, you know, more types of food that can be donated um, and that can then be sold for like a very small profit by these nonprofits. So that is a really awesome component of it that, you know, an organization could accept 500 pounds of food and turn that into meal and turn that into a meal and sell it for a dollar. Right. And, and provide sort of an some level of income for that organization so they can continue this work. Because as I said, businesses, you know, grocery stores, it's not, it's not a perfect science to producing this food and to utilizing it. And there's always going to be some semblance of waste. So to be able to recover some costs at the recipient end, you know, with these nonprofits that are already with limited resources is really beneficial. But um, the Food Donation Improvement Act itself, I think, has over... I'm I'm thinking 35 bipartisan co-sponsors, uh, which is great. We're mm-hmm. you know, we are trying to um, continue to provide support to that because that'll certainly increase opportunities for our program to recover more food. Um, but it was presented by Representative McGovern, and he was the one who's really been pushing been pushing this act. Um, yeah, so those are the two pieces of legislation. Well, one of them that is in place, and the other one that they're host- hoping to pass that will really increase capacity for food donation and expanding the opportunity to recover more types of food. That's awesome. And um, side note that your food rescue heroes is a tax deductible donation, fourteen cents a mile for yes. the drive time. Yeah, absolutely. So our volunteers can reap. Um, the benefits of that, you know, going out and driving in the community, they can get a tax deduction on that. And then our donors as well, right? So they can they can take a tax deduction for the food that they're donating. Okay, cool. Uh, through the program. How, how would you um, quantify your impact? How much food did you rescue last year, say? Um, last year, we almost hit a million. We, I think we were about 873,000 pounds pounds of food. Mm-hmm. Wow. This That's year. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. This year we are at right now, actually, I looked at our data yesterday. <laughs> we are at 3.8 million pounds of food since the inception of the program in, in 2018. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. And thank you, you have a, a new project that you're working with in um, cooperation with Rust Belt Riders at the West Side Market. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So back in, I believe it was August, um, Rust Belt Riders submitted an RFP, which is, you know, a request for funding proposal, request for proposal, however you want to say it. Um, but they submitted this RFP 
with the goal of completing a six-month composting pilot at the Westside Market. And there's a couple different components of that. There's composting um, as well as food recovery. And so the food rescue component of this RFP is that we will be recovering all of the viable edible food from the market vendors. Oh, so I love that. yeah, all of the market vendors will be participating, or at least that is the goal that everyone participates. And then we'll be taking that surplus food and we'll be redirecting it back out, you know, to organizations that are in the community because there is such a high need in and around Ohio City. So our goal is really to to take that surplus food and send it back out to the Ohio City and surrounding communities to feed folks that need it. Um, when so, when will that kick off? I think Cleveland City Council is just about to approve that contract. Yes, yes, okay. they're just about to approve it. Um, another component of this RFP, which I am very excited but also very nervous um, for, is completing a comprehensive waste audit. So I am working with Doreen Schreiber from the Solid Waste District right. to awesome. um, yes complete a comprehensive waste audit of all of the vendors at the West Side Market. So that is the first step of this process is doing a waste audit of all, you know, all vendors at the market, prioritizing food waste. But also, I think in that process, it makes sense for us to just do any other waste that they have. So that really gives us some more quantifiable, you know, data of of what is what waste is being produced there. Um, so that's the first step yep. of of this whole project. And that will be kicking off in the new year. Okay. Uh, that we'll be doing that. Well, having done many waste audits myself in the <laughs> past, you will be um, glad to know that, you know, January is much easier than August. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am. I am feeling good about that. Moving uh, around meat and fish in middle of summer doesn't sound great. <laughs> so we are going to uh, take need advantage. Volunteer. I think Greg wants to volunteer. Greg, <laughs> please join me. I could use the help. <laughs> well, I think that's amazing. Um, I think everyone should do at least one food food or one waste audit in their mm -hmm. in their life, as well as go to a landfill and a recycling center. Just to it hits it, it hits home when you see, you know, the amount of of waste that we generate. Tell us a little bit about the Hunger Network. You've been around for. A long time, and your program mm -hmm. is falls within the Hunger Network of Greater Cleveland. Tell us a little bit about your organization. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, it was actually the Interchurch Council of Greater Cleveland that created the Hunger Task Force over forty years ago. Um, that was, you know, due to cuts in public welfare programs, the National Recession, but really trying to address the need for emergency food for children in Cuyahoga County. Uh, mm -hmm. That was really sort of the inception of Hunger Network. Um, it wasn't okay. until 95 that we became a 501c3. We became a nonprofit organization and had the opportunity to expand our operations to not just children, but also serve families and seniors. Um, because, you know, food insecurity and hunger is such a big issue with children, you know, as they grow and they develop lack of nutrient-dense foods nutrient dense foods impacts their ability to develop properly, but it also mm -hmm. impacts their ability to focus at school, you know, to right. kind of excel through school and be able to go and obtain a job and, and build a career. You know, 
food insecurity really impacts them. But same with seniors, you know, senior, senior hunger right now is really on the rise. There's a lot of folks that are just hitting that age where they're homebound. They can't go out. They can't, you know, go to the grocery store. Um, and so, so senior hunger is something sort of new and emerging that we're seeing, Mm -hmm. but the organization was founded on, on this first program, you know, sort of focused on childhood hunger. And we created a network of hunger centers and hot meal sites and food pantries that focus on that. So food rescue is one of two programs in the organization, but we were Mm -hmm. sort of founded on this premise of addressing food insecurity with children in Cuyahoga County. Well, thank you for that. And you provide Mm -hmm. hunger relief to like 70 plus hunger centers, I think I read. So that's not a small number. So your impact is huge. Um, I want to kind of wrap up with our tip time because it is you know, we're, we're coming up to Thanksgiving and Christmas. And as I mentioned in the intro holiday parties, so, um, what would you, what advice would you give to our listeners in terms of things to think about this holiday season and also how to access your app if if they want to become a volunteer? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll kind of start with the volunteering plug, Um, so, you know, our food rescue program is always in need of volunteer support all throughout Cuyahoga County. We are rapidly expanding into Lorain County. Um, but you can find the hunger network food rescue app in your app store. So just search hunger network food rescue, you'll download the app and then you'll register in the system. And then once you've registered, you can start seeing rescues that are available to be claimed. So please, please, if you have the opportunity to download the app and you have some time to give back you know, especially around the holidays, uh, we greatly need it. The other thing that's coming up is Giving Tuesday. So that is Tuesday, November 29th. And we run a campaign during that time to be able to purchase more meals through our hot meal and food pantry program to provide support to the community. So if you have the opportunity to give um, on Giving Tuesday or before Giving Tuesday, that has a huge impact. And then the last thing I'll say, kind of cycling back to food rescue is, you know, the holidays are a time when folks are having work events, they're having parties, you know, and that's a great opportunity for us to recover food. So um, if you do think that you might have some surplus food left over, if you have some dates in mind of when you're having these holiday parties or events, you can reach out to food rescue at hungernetwork.org and let us know and we can arrange for pickup of the food. Do you work with a lot of caterers so so they're aware of your program so they could even make the party planners aware? <laughs> Not too many caterers. We do work with uh, Marigold Catering, so they've been a partner of ours. But we are not um, we are not connected to too many caterers at the moment. But hoping to expand that. So if anyone has any connections and they want to let us know with catering companies, certainly that would be uh, wonderfully helpful. The quote I want to leave with is, it's not that we don't make enough food, it's that good food is ending up in landfills. And I think I I found that off your website. And it's so true. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to keep this material out of landfills where it's creating methane gas, green, you know, potent greenhouse gas and and, uh, get it while it's still good to the people who need it. November 15th is America Recycles Day. So reduce, reuse and recycle. This is just one aspect of all of that. So Very happy that you spent some time with us today, speaking with us, Chelsea, and telling us all about your program. 
Yeah, absolutely. And happy holidays. Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me come on. I, I appreciated the opportunity to talk about the program and all the other fun stuff. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of EcoSpeak CLE. You can find our full catalog of episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are available the first and third Tuesday of each month. Please follow EcoSpeak CLE on Facebook and Instagram and become part of the conversation. If you would like to send us feedback and suggestions, or if you'd like to become a sponsor of EcoSpeak CLE, you can email us at hello at ecospeakcle.com. Stay tuned for more important and inspiring stories to come.